Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I kind of realized that, okay, burnout is a thing. I'm suffering through burnout right now. That's fine. I now know what the problem is so I can figure out ways to, ways to solve it. And essentially what it boiled down to was basically just taking a break and really protecting my energy levels. I thought like, oh, you know, back, back when I was at medical school, I could pull all-nighters and like work is the thing and stuff. And I realized that actually protecting my own energy levels is one of the most important things I could be doing. And for the long-term sustainability of my business and also my life, it, it has to be a priority to protect my energy levels. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Ali Abdal. Ali is a doctor and one of the world's most followed productivity experts. In 2017, during his final year at Cambridge University, Ali started posting YouTube videos about health and productivity. His channel now has over 5 million subscribers, and his acclaimed online productivity courses have hundreds of thousands of paying students. Today on the show, we discuss why productivity has nothing to do with work, why time blocking isn't that effective, the biggest mistakes people make when trying to become more productive, how starting your day with this five-minute exercise can change your life, Ali's 10-10-10 rule for destroying fear, the root cause of why you're really not getting things done, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Ali Abdal to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Ali, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. You got it. I'm excited to chat with you as well, and I would love to just jump right in. What do you think are some of the biggest regrets that people will have if they don't stay productive in their life? Oh, that's really good. Uh, biggest regrets. So I think, you know, there's, the, there's this idea that productivity is just about work. But I really don't think it is. And one of, my, one of my whole philosophies is that we can use the principles of productivity to apply to everything in our life. So like something we all struggle with is procrastination, where like there's this thing that we want to do, but like for some reason we're not doing the thing. Now, for some people, like having a deadline is like, okay, cool, I'll do the thing. But like for the most important things, they don't really have a deadline. You and I were talking, you know, just before recording around, you know, I'm struggling with, with my fitness. That doesn't really have a deadline. This is like, you know, no one's breathing down my neck telling me you've got to and I get six pack abs by this, by this certain date. And so that, that sort of stuff is very easy to put off. 
Similarly, relationships. Like a lot of people regret losing touch with relationships, with friends and family and colleagues and, and things like that. And in fact, one of the top regrets of the dying is I wish I'd kept better touch, better touch with my friends. But what I found is that by applying the principles of productivity to relationships, like calendar scheduling and automated reminders and like batching and all of this stuff that productivity bros love to talk about, that also really helps with relationships. So I think it's less about work, much more about the other things in life. And I think there's a whole set of strategies and tactics that people into productivity can apply to everything, which will help combat the regret of I don't know, losing touch with relationships and not taking care of your health. I love getting into like the root cause of things. I know you also have a background in psychology and which has helped you, I think, better understand productivity and what drives human behavior and stuff like that. And in reading your book, I was really fascinated by how much psychology and human behavior is all involved in every decision that we make. Because a lot of times people will say, well, I'm not doing the thing because I don't have time or I don't think I'm good enough or I mean, or because I'm lazy, I'm not motivated, whatever the case may be. But there's some like deep rooted psychological stuff that it seems that drives all of this. So what do you think is the is at the the bottom of all of this as to to why people fail to maintain productivity in their life with the things they deeply care about? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think so. Th so there's this whole field of positive psychology, which is about like human flourishing. Um, as, as some of your listeners will know, like back in the day, psychology was all, all about like, how do you get someone who's like below baseline to get back up to baseline? Like, how do you get someone who's really depressed to get back to normal? But then about 20 years ago, the field of positive psychology emerged, which is like, how do you get someone who's actually pretty all right to flourish even more? And so there's all sorts of research in the field of positive psychology. And all of the problems that people have can basically be boiled down to some sort of negative emotion. It's always, it's always negative emotion. Like procrastination, it's about emotions. Feeling like you don't have enough time is actually more an emotional problem and an energy problem than it is a time management problem. Feeling like you're lazy, feeling like you're unmotivated, all of these are because there's some sort of emotion at the core that either we're not addressing or that we're addressing it in like a, a weirdly dodgy kind of way. And I think the more we can become aware of that emotion, like, and I never thought I'd actually be saying this out loud because I was very anti-emotions back in the day. But the, as, as I've gotten older and done more research into this and lived more, more of life, I realized how emotions are at the, at the root cause of all of the, I guess, adversity that we feel around productivity. And as far as like emotions that become intertwined with, with how productive we are and productivity, I know that one of the things that can be incredibly hard to stay productive is when somebody is like focused on doing something like whether it's a fitness journey or whether it's dating or whatever it is that they haven't done in a while and they're not seeing results, people will often quit because they're like, well, I've been working out for two weeks and my biceps haven't gotten any bigger. I've been working out for three weeks and I haven't lost any weight or I've been on five dates and I haven't met, a, you know, haven't met my partner yet or whatever the example is. And I know you, you talk a lot about the importance of paying attention to the process. And I know you have experience in this as well is that when you left – um, your background in the medical field, you went and started your YouTube channel, you were barely making any money, but obviously you you saw it through, stayed consistent, and you're where you're at today. Like what helped you? What helped you when you couldn't see results? You didn't see, you know, the accolades and the millions of followers. Like what helped you stay on track and productive like during those times? Yeah. Oh man, that's such a good question. I think like this is something that so many people struggle with. If I, if I had to boil it down to one thing, it's exactly that thing you said. It's finding a way to focus on the process and to make the process enjoyable in itself. So like with my YouTube channel, for example, 
I knew, because I'd done a psychology degree as well at university, I kind of read all this stuff about intrinsic, extrinsic motivation. You know, the idea there is that anytime we have extrinsic motivation, like I'm doing something for the sake of the reward at the end of it, even if the thing is fun, it starts to feel like work. Extrinsic motivators crowd out intrinsic motivation. And so with my, when I started my YouTube channel and I was struggling with consistency, I, I knew that I couldn't set my sights on a certain target of followers or a certain amount of revenue or a certain amount of views. Because those things are outside of my control. They're external to me. They're extrinsic motivators. And instead, I tried my best to just focus on the process. I'm just going to show up, make one video every week, try and get better each time, maybe by a little bit, and try and enjoy the process. And I, I still, like, I'm nearly on, like, 5 million subscribers, got a big business behind it. But even, even now, to this day, I, I try my best to not look at the numbers and to not set any targets for myself other than I'm just going to show up, I'm going to try and serve, and I'm going to try and enjoy the process. And honestly, I, I, th- I think, you, you know, it's the same experience that I hear people have with fitness. If you stop caring so much about the results and actually start enjoying the process <laughs> and start loving the process, there's something magical about that that is what helps you stay consistent, especially in those periods where you're not getting the rapid results. And I think one of the other things that comes up for people is this feeling of not enough or I'm never going to become that person that makes money or is successful in, in any kind of profession, whether it's podcasting, whether it's, I mean, it could be in the medical field, could be on YouTube, like whatever it is. And I know you struggled with not feeling good enough or enough. And now you're the person that I'm sure some people are looking at your channel. Like, I'm never going to get there. Like, what's the point of trying? Like, I'm never going to get the 4 million, 5 million followers. How how do you advise people to like push through that barrier, which exists so much today? There's, it's easy to fall into the comparison trap, especially if you're doing stuff online and you're paying attention to the online world. Like, like, how do you advise people to, to navigate through, through situations like that? Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a very specific method for this, which is to, and, and any, anyone can do this, which is to listen to podcasts and talk to people who are at the place where I think I want to be. So like last week, you know, I was, I was with our mutual friend Sahil Bloom and a couple of other entrepreneurs in Cabo in Mexico. They were all ridiculously wealthy. They'd all sold companies for tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm a lot less wealthy than that. Like I was the brokest person in the group, which is a great place to be because I could ask them, hey, how much did all that money really change your life? Like, what are you doing now? How, like, how are you spending your time? And what they all basically said was, yeah, you know, selling your company for 200 million, it doesn't make you any happier. Yeah, you get a slightly nicer house. Yeah, you get a slightly nicer car. But they all started companies again because they missed the journey. They enjoyed the process. And similarly, when younger, when like creators speak to me who are kind of a little bit behind in the journey and like, there is no difference between what I'm doing right now and what I was doing when I had 500 subscribers, which was like six years ago. There's literally no difference. I'm sitting in front of a camera. I'm talking to a camera. I'm making videos. The camera is slightly fancier. It's like the upgraded model of the Sony rather than the cheap model of the Sony. The microphone is slightly nicer. Other than that, there's literally no difference. And so a lot of this comparison mindset is based on this idea that this arrival fallacy, that once we arrive at a particular destination, suddenly everything will change. The only thing that makes a meaningful difference is obviously if someone is struggling to make make ends meet and can't pay the bills, having enough money to pay the bills makes a huge difference to your quality of life. But beyond that point, more money, more success, more subscribers, more this and that, you know, what they say, more money, more problems. Like I, I actually have less fun making videos now than I did when I had 500 subscribers where the stakes were low. When I had 500 subscribers, no one cared. I was like, I could make videos about whatever I want. I could speak from the heart. I could be myself. 
now there's such pressure. It's like everything I say, it's like going to be freaking analyzed to kingdom come by these random people in the audience. People will make forum articles about how much, how much of a sociopath I am based on the fact that I didn't make eye contact with the camera. It's, 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 it, it literally just adds pressure to the process. And so obviously it's easy to say on the other side of the sort of the, the growth curve. But what I would really encourage people to do is speak to the people who are doing the thing that you think you want to be doing and ask how different is their life to yours. And I can basically guarantee it's not going to be that much different, and especially their happiness levels are not going to be that much different to yours. And there's a quote that I really like that I came across recently, which is, there is no achievement that will make you any happier than you are right now. And that's really liberating. Like I can, you know, my book is about to launch. Maybe it'll hit the bestseller list. Maybe it won't. Either way, I just know it's not going to change my happiness because I've spoken to authors who've hit the bestseller list and they tell me it doesn't change your happiness. I'm like, great. Now I don't need to worry so much about it and I can focus on enjoying the process. And unfortunately, it all comes back down to this somewhat cliched thing of find a way to enjoy the process rather than hoping that comparing yourself to someone who's further ahead than you is suddenly going to bring you happiness. I mean, do you think that part of where you're at now, and this is relatable to, I think, with anybody who's had an, an, a tremendous amount of success in their field, do you think part of you not feeling as excited or passionate or whatever, however you would phrase that about creating content now is because part of the thrill and the excitement is the journey, like is like the, on the way up the mountain and, and the climb. And then, but then once you get there, you're like, Ooh, this isn't as sweet as I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's great. I'm very thankful. I'm grateful, but like, I'm less happy now. I mean, do you think that's it? Do you think the journey is just so sweet and the climb is just so fulfilling that once you like get over that massive hump and you're, I mean, kind of near the top, like it's just not as, as ha- it's not as fulfilling anymore. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's definitely a risk of that. Um, I try and combat that as much as I can. So, so the, the, there's sort of like, we say like three, three different types of happiness. There's like the dopamine happiness, which is like the pursuit of like, I'm chasing something, I'm growing when the numbers are going up. It's like, that's so dopamine inducing. That's so exhilarating. And so in the early days of my channel, when I was making $5, $10, whoa, my mind is blown. I can now afford to get a takeaway every day of my life because I'm making enough money from YouTube. It's it's hard for me to get that sort of feeling again because there was such a huge amount of dopamine in in the pursuit. But a danger is if I continue to chase that dopamine, that's how people continue to chase numbers going up. And that's not a recipe for lasting fulfillment. So, you know, there's one type of dopamine happiness. Then you've got more like the serotonin happiness, which is more like contentment and bliss and peace and tranquility and joy. Um, And so that I think is a more durable form of happiness. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to go for these days. Like I'm not really trying to chase any goals particularly, just trying to enjoy the process. And then there's the oxytocin, which is more like the cuddle hormone where we kind of doing, doing it with friends, doing it with other people, getting other people into our lives, optimizing for health and relationships. And so I think it's important to shift your source of happiness away from chasing the numbers because it is really exhilarating chasing the numbers and onto something a little bit more like long-term, longer lasting. At least that's how I think about it. Um, but it does naturally mean that making a video today is a lot less exhilarating than it used to be back in the day. One of the best pieces of advice I got like early in my career was you have to stay even keel through the ups and the downs. Like when you have success, you got to not get too excited. When something bad happens, you got to get, you got to not get too down. And it kind of, um, it's kind of reflects a little bit to what you just spoke to. And I think one of the things that blocks people from like unlocking their, their full potential in life is that that thing is 
celebrating too much and they forget like why they started. They forget to keep mastering the fundamentals. They, they, they forget that rookie mindset of wanting to learn and grow, or they get so down when things don't go their way that that bad day turns into a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, et cetera. What are some of the things that you do like on a daily basis to keep you grounded and like living in the moment and making sure that you're, you know, pro, you know, focusing on that internal validation and not the external. Yeah. I, lo- I love that thing that you said around the rookie mindset. So this is something that I, I actually wrote about in the book. You know, there's this concept in Zen Buddhism called a Shoshin, which translates roughly to beginner's mind. And there's this story of like this, this like professor goes to some Zen, Zen master and says, Hey, I want you to teach me. And the Zen master says, well, I can't fill up. I, I, I can't fill someone's cup whose cup is already full. And the idea is that, like, if your brain is full with these ideas of, like, you know, these, these ideas that you're an expert and you know your stuff, then, A, you're not going to learn, and B, you're not going to have much fun. And so emptying the mind of all of those preconceptions and things and trying to find a way to continuously be a beginner or feel as if you're a beginner, I think is, I find hugely helpful as a, as a way of thinking about how to maintain contentment with what I'm doing. The, the other thing I really find helpful is, I really try these days to connect whatever I'm doing to some sort of service. So I, I actually have this list of things that I read out to myself whenever I film a YouTube video. I wonder if I, if I could share these. I think, I think the listeners might, might find it helpful. So, you know, for, for me, it's filming videos, but for you know, whoever's listening to this, you, you probably have that thing that's your main thing that you do for work. And maybe it's not as joyful as it once was. Maybe you used to enjoy it back in the day and you don't maybe enjoy it anymore. This is kind of what I tell myself before I film my videos. And maybe there's something here that, that'll vibe. So I tell myself, I don't care about the performance of this video. My only goal in making it is to share a message that I think is worth sharing for whoever wants to hear it. I intend to integrate my mind, heart, and soul to share this message in a way that feels authentic and natural. I'm not trying to force anything here. I'm merely speaking from the heart with the mind to inform structure and content and the soul to remain connected to the purpose behind the video. I'm going to enjoy myself and treat this process with lightness and ease. When I'm on my deathbed, I'd give anything to be back here in the present moment, doing what I love, sharing myself with the world in a way that's enjoyable and energizing. I'm going to keep that in mind and not treat this process with too much seriousness, heaviness, or importance. And finally, I'm speaking to an individual who really cares what I have to say and who really wants to learn from me to help level up their own life. I am in service to that person, not to my own ego, not to the retention stats, not to the algorithm. I am purely in service to the person who has clicked on this video and whose life can be genuinely changed by what I'm about to say. So I literally read that out. I have that list as a five-point checklist and I read out before I film anything because that helps me connect to the purpose behind the thing that I'm doing. Because otherwise it's too easy to be like, oh, well, I guess I'm making another video for the algorithm. I guess there's a sponsor on this. I guess I'll make money. And none of those things are particularly fulfilling. But there is something remarkably fulfilling about feeling as if the thing that we're doing has a purpose or meaning beyond us. Like as you just read that to me now, like what were some of the feelings and emotions that came from it? Hmm. That's a good question. As I was reading this now, partly was a feeling of kind of deep contentment. Like I'm sitting here doing this podcast with you. We wouldn't have met like online had it not been for the work I do online, the work that you do online. It's like really cool. So before recording this podcast, there was part of me that was like, ah, oh, I've got to do this podcast. And, and, and that's weird, right? Like, you know, I, I had, I approached it with like a, I have to do this podcast and it's kind of, it's kind of rogue. I enjoy doing podcasts. I enjoy talking to cool people. I, I enjoy this sort of stuff and reading that list of things just now made me, uh, almost made me re-remember that actually 
this is this is fun. I do enjoy this. This is this is a great vibe. I'm having a great conversation. And it's not that I'm not enjoying it, but it's just it's sometimes you know the mind is a survival machine. It's always focused on the negative. It's like oh, I've got to do this podcast now. I guess I'll just sit here and talk. It's like it's weird. Like it's so easy for us to forget why to to actually forget to enjoy the process, to forget that this stuff is fun and that we get to be doing this, and that's that's incredible. Um, and so as I was reading that, I was kind of thinking, damn. I, I actually should start reading this before I do anything in my work, whether it's a team meeting, whether it's a podcast, because I do it before filming. And I just thought, whoa, I can do it before everything. That would make everything a little bit more fun. Um, so I just had a bit of a realization there myself. So what do you think, like, why do you think people struggle so much in their lives? Like when they're doing like tasks like this, that they know they're going to enjoy, they know, they know they're going to have fun with, they know that at the end of the day, it's, they're going to come out a better version of themselves. Why do they have this mindset that they're like, you know what, like, why do I have to do this, even though they understand that it's going to benefit them, that they're going to enjoy it? Like, why do you think so many people like end up selling themselves short when they're getting ready to do something that they know they're going to enjoy? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, str- I, I struggle with this all the time. I still have that to this day, as I, as I, as I mentioned. I think part of it is, you know, as, as, as part of my research for the book, one of, one of the things I was looking into a lot is the idea of autonomy the idea of being able to do what you feel like doing. And one of the issues is that whenever, whenever there's something in the calendar, like this is a, you know, a scheduled meeting between the two of us and I want to respect your time. And like, you know, I, I've got to be here at a certain time. That actually takes away some autonomy from my life. And so, which is actually a good thing because like we don't want to live a life just chasing autonomy and freedom and freedom. And, you know, the more freedom you get, the better. Because at some point you realize that actually freedom is not the thing you're trying to optimize for. And the thing you're trying to go for is kind of investment into things that you genuinely care about and service in a, in a way that, genu- that, that, that genuinely lights you up and doing a podcast, doing a video or whatever the thing might be for someone else, writing that presentation, writing that essay, writing that book. All of these are little things that do infringe our, on our own autonomy, but that lead to a better life for us overall and, and more fulfillment. But I think in the moment when we feel like, oh, I've got this thing on my to-do list, oh, I've got this thing on my calendar, oh, I've got this thing. You know, there, was the, there was this moment when, when I really experienced this back when I was working as a doctor. Um, that I, I remember that it was the end of like a, it was like a 13-hour shift. It was like the longest hour, it was a huge shift. And th- this was just before the pandemic. So it was like, oh, there, there was a little bit of like COVID and stuff was starting to, starting to go around. And I got to the end of the shift and I couldn't wait to get home because I was absolutely knackered. And just as I was about to leave, one of the nurses said to me, hey, Ali, can you put an, an IV, a cannula in the lady in one of the beds? And I was like, oh God, I've got to put this cannula in. The only reason they're asking me is because they've tried it and it hasn't worked. So this lady's veins are probably really hard to reach. Oh my goodness. And I was like, okay, fine, blah, blah, blah. Put my stuff in, you know, you have to gather your equipment in a little tray, like the gauze and the plasters and everything. And I remember like overhearing in a different bay, like one of the patients was gushing about how incredible it was to be in this hospital and like how really nice the doctors were and stuff. And it kind of made me think, like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I've literally trained eight years of my life to become a doctor where I've got the privilege of being able to serve people in their time of need. And I'm grumbling about an extra 20 minutes. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And I remembered a line from a Seth Godin blog post that I read years ago, which is that whenever you feel you have to do something, just reframe that in your mind to, I get to, I get to do this thing. And so I thought, hmm, I don't have to put in this IV. I get to, I get to do it. I get to help this, you know, ease this person's pain, ease her morning sickness. It'll be good for her. It'll be good for the baby growing inside of her. Because I was working on obstetrics and gynecology at the time. 
And just, I, I remember this profound feeling of like liberation and contentment that came over me when I, when, I, when I thought that. I was like, wow, I get to be able to do this. And that change made all the difference. And I kind of walked in with a smile. I had a bit of banter. We talked, put the IV in, got it in first time. She had a great time that evening. She got fluids. Her baby was happy. I went home 20 minutes later and I had this glow of contentment within me. Whereas if I'd approached the, exactly the same thing from a sense of I have to do this, it would have just taken all the joy away from it. But it's one of those things where you have to keep on reminding ourselves because it's so easy to forget and just get caught up in the oh, day-to-day, <laughs> the day-to-day of life. Absolutely. And, and bringing this kind of full circle and coming on the other side of this, three years ago, roughly, I think, you're face down on your couch, completely burned out, um, right? And you're like, <laughs> essentially, you're, you've reached the breaking point of your medical career and you're launching full-time, you know, into becoming a YouTuber, a lot of people, whether it's that situation or somebody who's just recovering from addiction or they're going through a divorce or whatever the case may be, they have their face down on the couch and they're like, I'm done. I I have no energy left. Like whatever energy um, that I've had has been used on this one thing. And I need to figure out a way to keep moving forward. What was the process like for you to go from that person face down on the couch, completely burned out, no energy in a, in a big crossroads in your life. How did you pick yourself up like emotionally and mentally to persevere and then get started in those first, you know, few months in this career? Cause your identity was wrapped up in the medical career. I know your mom was very like aggressive as far as like making sure that you stayed down that path. Like that was like what you thought you were going to do. Um, so I'd love to know like what those first few months were like, like recovering from that moment on your couch. Yeah, so this was when I had just, it, it was a few months into my uh, full-time career as a YouTuber because I just like said goodbye to medicine, I'd taken a break and I'd gone full-time on YouTube and I was thinking, hey, I now don't have a day job. I'll, I'm going to have all the time in the world. But as, as you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you throw yourself into that. And I was just spending 18 hours a day working because I was like, hey, if I'm, if I'm going to leave medicine, I've got to really make this work. And after a few months of doing this, I just, I, I found myself, I was definitely burned out, uh, you know, not having any energy, not feeling the joy in the activities that I once used to, feeling like my work was meaningless and all this stuff. And, you know, I had a call with my mom and I mentioned this and I felt pretty bad about this because I was like, I'm a freaking YouTuber. What right do I have to feel burned out? And my mom is a psychiatrist. So she kind of told me that, hey, it sounds like you're feeling burned out. Like, have you, have you thought about taking a break? It's just basic stuff. Um, and after doing some research into this, because, you know, whenever I have an issue, I just Google it and read scientific papers. I kind of realized that, okay, burnout is a thing. This is, I'm, I'm suffering through burnout right now. Good. That's fine. I now know what the problem is so I can figure out ways to, ways to solve it. Um, and essentially what it boiled down to was basically just taking a break uh, <laughs> and really protecting my energy levels. So I think, you know, I was, I was, I was like 27 at the time-ish, 27, 28, 27. And I thought like, oh, you know, back, back when I was at medical school, I could pull all-nighters and like work is the thing and stuff. And I realized that actually protecting my own energy levels is one of the most important things I could be doing. And for the long-term sustainability of my business and also my life, it, it has to be a priority to protect my energy levels. And then I did some Googling. What are the things that help protect your energy levels? Unfortunately, it's all the basic ass stuff. It's like sleeping eight hours a night, Having a, having a good night's sleep, not using your phone in bed, exercising every day, 
eating reasonable food and not ordering takeaway. And I realized that like in pursuit of like hustle and entrepreneurship, I'd been sacrificing all these things because I just, I was like, oh, it's basic. I know, I, you know, I know all this stuff. I know the importance of good night's sleep, but I, I clearly didn't know the importance of good night's sleep because I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't exercising at all. It was the middle of the pandemic. And so I like, didn't really have much social contact either. And so all of this, all of those things went out the window and then my energy level started to fall. And again, it's, it's, it sounds weird to kind of say this now because it's like so obvious, but you know, <laughs> sleep, diet, exercise, movement, social contact, all of these things that we require as humans are absolutely vital to us having the energy to just not get burned out. So now I think about this a lot whenever I'm trying to, whenever I feel I'm going too hard on, on work, I remind myself, hang on, you know, no one ever, like one of, one, one of the other regrets of the dying when people are on the deathbed, they always say, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. So I just kind of remind myself that actually work is a lot less important than uh, making sure I protect my energy and my contentment and it's okay to take a break. Very roundabout way of basically saying take take more breaks, bro. <laughs> and this this uh, flows nicely into the conversation of really starting to optimize and become insanely productive. In that, like a lot of times you hear the word productivity, and the first thing that comes to mind is is work, right? And in reality, like you can't just go all in and just you know schedule yourself back to back to back meetings or just content creation or fill in the blank with whatever your career is without taking care of your health otherwise you're going to fall flat on your face and you know two weeks it's kind of like i see this in the fitness industry especially in the new year where people are like new year new you i'm going to lose 100 pounds 50 pounds 20 pounds i'm going to you know be able to do 100 push-ups whatever their goal is and they set these unrealistic goals and they they realize that they aren't taking care of some of the other things in their life. They haven't built some of the foundational principles and they fall flat on their face. What are some of the blind spots with productivity as people are starting to, maybe they're listening to this podcast, maybe they're buying your book, maybe they've you know gone over to your YouTube channel and they're like, all right, I'm going to be more productive. I'm inspired. Like, Where do you see most people fall short when they begin this productivity journey? I think one of the things I see a lot is that when people feel like they want to be more productive, they start on the level of like tactics. They're like, okay, what's the tool that will help me level up my to-do list? How do I get more organized? Like what calendar app should I use? It's either that or they think, great, I just need to work harder. And they sort of start grinding away and realizing that eventually, eventually burning out. One of the, one of the big blind spots that I see in a lot of people is just not appreciating the bigger picture. So like if you genuinely want to be more productive, like what, what is productivity? To me, productivity is doing, doing the things that matter to you in a way that's intentional, effective, and enjoyable and sustainable and four things. Um, and I think a lot of people don't spend enough time thinking about where they want to go. They just try and make the car go faster, but they don't realize that the car is actually driving in a direction that they didn't choose for themselves and that was chosen for them when they were younger and they just sort of continued on autopilot. And there's no point driving really fast down one direction if you realize that, oh, crap, that was actually the wrong direction. So I always encourage people, and I find this super helpful for myself as well, to take a step back and to think, where are we actually going with this? Like, what is the point of your productivity? What are you working towards? So I find it really helpful to ask questions like, you know, what would I want written on my gravestone? What would I like people to say at my funeral? What would I want written in my obituary? Um, And then sort of that helps you figure out like, hmm, for me at least, it helped me realize that the thing that I want written on my gravestone is some combination of good father, good husband, and 
inspirational teacher. And to me, it kind of helped me realize that actually the thing that, that really lights me up is teaching. And at the time I was doing this medicine stuff, not the teaching stuff. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And so after a bit of like soul searching, I realized, wait a minute, like I'm going in this direction and following this yellow brick road that, that I sort of set out to when I applied to medical school. And the destination is not actually what I want. Okay, cool. That's really useful to know because now I'm, I haven't wasted all this time and effort like being super productive to go down a path I don't want to go in the first place. So I'm always keen on people like asking the question, what are my goals? Where do I want to be three years from now, five years from now? Where might I like to be 10 years from now? What would I like people to say at my funeral? There's these sort of big picture questions that we just don't make, too, we, we just don't make enough time to think about. It was interesting in, in reading your book. It's like, I think when you pick up a productivity work, I, 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 I feel like when you pick up a productivity book and you read it, you think like, okay, chapter one, time blocking, chapter two, like goal setting, like chapter three, um, you know, making sure you have a, a calendar, chapter four, you know, and just ma- making it all about time management. And what I loved about your book is that, yes, there's definitely some hacks in there for that stuff, but a majority of it was was not. It was like, paying attention to who you spend time with. It was focusing on your energy levels, taking time to recover, you know, taking time to like celebrate, you know, wins, taking time to forgive yourself if you procrastinate. Like a lot of the stuff that revolves around psychology, mental health, overall well-being. Um like why do you think it's so important to make sure that you master that stuff first before, you know, whipping out the calendar and blocking out when you're going to start, you know, chasing your dreams? Yeah, I think like this is one of the things that I was really trying to get across in the book. And like, you know, the 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 calendar app is not gonna is not actually gonna move the needle. What's gonna move the needle is figuring out where you want to go and finding a way to be okay with the emotions that are coming up and then finding a way to enjoy the process. Like if you ask people when if if anyone listening to this, if you if you think to yourself, when are you the most productive? Is it when you have your day chock a block blocked out with a perfect calendar app? Or is it when you're in flow and you're actually enjoying the things that you're doing? It's probably when you're enjoying the things that you're doing. If you ask high-achieving high entrepreneurs and athletes and scientists and Nobel Prize winners, like, what was the key to their success? Very few of them say it was unrelenting grind and, like, fully scheduled hard work. A lot of them say, you know, it was the flow state. I found a way to make it fun. Like, I genuinely enjoyed the process of getting here. One notable exception is Muhammad Ali who famously said that, hey, every, you know, I suffered every day in training for 10 years, but it was worth it to become a champion. And I don't know, I don't think most of us want that. We don't want to suffer every day for 10 years just to become a champion because like probably realize it's probably not worth it. Um, So if someone does, if someone is okay to suffer for 10 years every single day to become a champion, great. My book is not for them. My advice is not for them. They do them. They'll probably win an Olympic gold medal. Cool. I probably won't, but that's okay. But if someone doesn't like the idea of suffering for such a long time and actually wants to enjoy the journey and not just fixate on the destination, then recognizing that your own psychology, your own emotions, finding a way to enjoy your own work is, is the main thing. And then the calendar and the to-do list and stuff, that's like the cherry on top. But I find that people often make the mistake of thinking that the cherry is the cake itself. But the cake itself is like finding a way to enjoy whatever you're doing. And so in the way to do that is to make sure that you're taking care of your health, you're spending time with good people, you're sleeping, you know, your relationships are on point, you're managing your stress, you're, you know, going towards a, a target that's fully aligned with you. Am I, am I correct? Yeah. So that's a big part of it. And there, there's also another big part of it. So the first three chapters of the book are like, you know, people are always like, okay, cool. You know, I've got to make my work more fun, but like, how do I do that? And 
yes, there's the basic, the foundation stuff of like exercise, sleep, nutrition, all of that kind of stuff. But a big part of finding ways to make your work more enjoyable is what I call the three energizers, which are play, power, and people. So play, very, very broadly, is like, how can you approach whatever you're doing with a little bit more playfulness, a little bit more lightness and ease? Power is how can you approach it with more responsibility? How can you feel more empowered with what you're doing? Could you do it in your own way? Could you do it in a slightly different, using a slightly different method? Could you find a way to level up your abilities? Because the feeling of leveling up is really good for intrinsic motivation, which is the motivation we have when we do things for their own sake, not just for the outcome. And then people, you know, we all have that feeling of like, there are some people you hang out with that really boost your energy. And then there are some people you hang out with that really drain your energy. And, you know, that energy, it's, it's not glucose. It's not ATP. It's not like physical energy that is measured in, in the body. It's this other sort of energy. Um, you know, this like motivational energy or relational energy, as some scientists call it. And so finding a way to bring people into whatever you're doing. And back when I was a student and I used to struggle with my exams, I created a little study group. and We'd all study together. We'd be working on different subjects, but the fact that we were all in the same library, listening to the same music, doing the Pomodoro technique together, 25 minutes of work, five minutes of break and repeat, it just made the whole process more enjoyable and energizing. And so play, power, and people are the three energizers that can make whatever you're doing just that little bit more enjoyable and energizing. I feel like a lot, a lot of what people have learned or heard is that the way to get yourself energized to do something is motivation. I know you think that motivation is, is nonsense when it comes to productivity. Why do you feel that? Yeah, so I think motivation. So motivation is where you do something because you feel like doing it, which is fine. Uh, the problem with motivation is it's not, it's not very durable. Like motivation comes and goes. Um, then some people would say, okay, discipline is the way forward. Discipline is where you do the thing even when you don't feel like it. The issue with discipline is that it's also like, it's, it's kind of like a finite resource. Like there are very few people in the world that are like David Goggins where they can just marshal up discipline every single day to just go for a run at three o'clock in the morning. That's a, it's an unusual way to live. And most of us are not that disciplined. The way I think about it is like, you know, instead of thinking that discipline or motivation is the answer, figure out why are you struggling with this thing in the first place? What are the emotions or the blockers that you haven't yet addressed? Then let's address those blockers, right? Like, it's like, you know, if, if you're running and you've got a pebble in your shoe and it like hurts when you run, it's because you've got a pebble in your shoe. Like motivation is like, I'm going to run because I feel like it because I feel energized. Discipline is I'm going to run because I'm disciplined. But like, you know, I call it the unblock method. The unblock method is like, wait a minute, why, why does running feel so hard? It shouldn't feel this hard. It should, it should, it should feel joyful and playful and stuff. Let me see if there's a pebble in my shoe. Oh yeah, there's a pebble. I can remove the pebble and now I can run in peace. And the pebble is often like various emotional blockers that stop us from doing things. And I think if we can address those, we need to rely on discipline and motivation a lot less. I think one of the, the biggest blockers you talk about in your book is fear. And I know we've kind of danced around it, touched on it um, a little bit. And I'd love to, to talk about this, the 10, 10, 10 rule you talk about in your book, because I thought that was... Um, fascinating. I was actually on a, on a, on the call with a call with a friend of mine earlier today, and she was worried about something. She was actually worried about putting out one of her podcast episodes because it didn't like sound like ideal. And I was like, Oh, I'm actually interviewing this guy, Allie in like an hour and I'm reading this book. And I was like, he's got this 10, 10, 10 rule. And I read it to her and she was like, Oh my gosh, like, thank you so much for sharing this. So talk about that and why it can help people like overcome their fears. 
Nice. Thank you for sharing that. It's always like the, the, the book is not yet officially released. And so it's always nice hearing like positive feedback about the ideas. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that, that's the thing that was there. Um, so fear is one of the big blockers. Like, you, you know, a, a lot of the time we procrastinate and we kind of our productivity falls because we are afraid of something or other. And usually it's some kind of social fear. It's not like I'm afraid I'm going to die. It's like, I'm afraid people will judge me negatively for this thing. I'm afraid people will laugh at me. I'm afraid like my boss will think I'm a fucking idiot for doing this thing. Uh, all, all of this sort of stuff. And the 10, 10, 10 rule is like, it helps kind of put the fear into perspective. And so it's fairly simple. It's just, you ask yourself, will this matter in 10 minutes? Will this matter in 10 weeks? Will this matter in 10 years? So with your friend's podcast episode, will it matter in 10 minutes? Yeah, maybe people who listen to it might be like, the audio's a bit shit. Will it matter in 10 weeks? Probably not. Most podcast episodes are not that evergreen. They're going to be alive for at least 10 weeks. Unless you're interviewing like a huge name person, you're getting loads of views. Will it matter in 10 years? Definitely not. There's so much, so many podcasts out there. No one's going to care. Also, you know, the other thing that's, that's in that chapter of the book is the NOC mindset. NOC stands for no one cares. And that is a thing that I have to continue to remind myself of on a weekly basis whenever I struggle with fear is that no one cares. Like there's this thing in psychology called the spotlight effect, which is that we all walk around feeling as if there is a spotlight trained on us at all times. And any mistake we made, make, any faux pas that we make, people are going to be judging us for it right, left and center. But no one's thinking about us. No one cares. People are all worried about their own problems. I'm thinking, crap, I kind of need a wee right now. And I'm kind of worried, like, you know, am I squirming too much? Will Doug think, fuck, Ali comes across as really nervous? You're probably not thinking that. You probably didn't even notice until I pointed it, pointed it out. <laughs> You're probably thinking, how's this interview going? You know, all, all this sort of stuff. Like, it's the same with everything. We are so worried about what others think of us where we fail to realize that they're not really thinking about us that much. And if we just recognize no one cares, that really helps overcome fear for a lot of people. I'm glad you brought up the spotlight effect because I wanted to go into that next anyway. And that, like, I think that just holds so many people back from reaching their full potential. They end up just wasting away their life because they're so concerned about what other people are going to think of them and their work and what they do. And the reality is that you know no one cares, like you just said, and that we have to focus on ourselves. And, and now that we've, we've spent a good bit of time talking about like the fundamentals of productivity and why it's important to not just focus on, you know, blocking out the calendar and to-do lists and stuff like that. We have to focus on the other things as well as addressing a lot of the things that hold people back from reaching their full potential and becoming productive. Let's get into some of the, the hacks. If somebody's looking to become productive, if they're like, all right, I got this. I, I know that, you know, what I'm, I like what I'm doing. I like the people I'm around. I'm working out, taking care of myself. I feel good about myself. I just frankly need, I just want to learn like how I can optimize my day so that I get stuff done, you know, and that I'm not distracted. Where does somebody start? Yeah. So there's a few really simple things that you can do. Um, one of them is it's, it's what I call, it's, it's, it's like a morning, a five minute morning routine that I call the AM five, sort of like 5am, but like swapped AM five, just five minutes in the morning. It, it actually takes even less time than that, where I basically ask myself, what is today's adventure going to be? And what I'm asking myself there is a, is basically what, what is my most important task for today? And there's actually quite a lot of evidence and a lot of anecdotal data as well that suggests that if you just ask yourself every single day, what is the single most important thing I need to do that? And then you just do that thing. That is one of the, the biggest needle movers in terms of anyone's productivity. But I like to phrase it as what's today's adventure going to be 
because it's the same question, but just with a little bit more fun. And, you know, as we know, when we feel good about things, if we treat something as an adventure, we're going to find ways to approach it with a little bit more enjoyment and lightness and ease. So what's today's adventure going to be? I also, I also think in terms of like, what are my three side quests? Again, I like the, I like the terminology in, in uh, video games. And I have to pick a side quest in work, in health, and in relationships. So for example, today, my side quest for work is I'm going to work on my productivity course that I'm working on because it's like a bit of a side quest. My most important thing was doing these podcasts. In health, my side quest is to go for a walk. And in relationships, my side quest is to call my grandma. And every morning, I just ask myself those questions. What's today's most important task? I today's adventure. And then what are the three side quests? And I just sort of make sure I do those things. Um, sometimes I do them all. Sometimes I don't do them all. But either way, at least if I, I've set that intention first thing in the morning. And I think the health and relationships ones are, ones are particularly good because, again, as high-achieving entrepreneurs and stuff, it's very easy for us to get fixated on the work side of things and fail and, and cause us to neglect the health and the relationship side. So I always like to have a side quest in that sense. So that's one really actionable thing that I've, when I, I have like, um, I have students in my YouTuber course who have started doing that and they're all like, oh my God, that's so helpful. Um, super simple, super simple hack, but it really, really helps transform the intentionality behind your day. Just five minutes to become more productive throughout the day. I love that. It's a, it's a great tool. I'm definitely going to uh, try that one as well. Um, speaking in real time, because I know that one of the things you're looking to get back into is is finding some time to to work out. And I know you were in a routine. You've since moved, and you know you got the book coming out. But let's just say the book isn't launching in a month. Let's just say that you're just trying to figure out a way to get get a workout routine back into your schedule, and that's like something that is at the top of your list for tomorrow. Um, what kind of things are you, would you start doing to make sure that it fits in your, into your day and your schedule consistently? Yeah. So I actually did this like literally three days ago when I realized that I'm traveling and this working out thing is hard. So the, so, so you know, this AM five thing that I, that I mentioned, it's got the adventure, it's got the side quests. I, I actually have that as a template in my journaling app. I use an app called day one, but you know, people can use any app for journaling. And what I do, what, what, what I started doing is just asking myself two questions in the morning in addition to the adventure thing. So above the adventure thing, I literally have, what is today's workout plan? And then the next question is, is it in the calendar? <laughs> and so this morning, like, like actually for, for the last three or four days, I've looked at this, I've ran the template and it's asked, I've literally asked myself because a template is just a message to your future self. The message from my former self is, what's today's workout plan? And I'm like, oh yeah, good point. Hadn't thought of that. Uh, so actually, straight after this, I'm going to go for a walk and try and get my 10,000 steps in. And then the next question is, is it in the calendar? And I was like, damn, good point. I'm glad me from the past thought about this. So then I put it on the calendar and I actually have go for an hour long walk straight after this podcast in my calendar. Um, and so I really like, essentially, the, the, the trick here is to use, I think James Clear calls it habit stacking. It's like you attach habits that you want and you attach reminders to things you're already doing. So if you can get into the mindset of using the same template every morning for your morning journaling or whatever the thing is, now you can add questions to yourself, little nudges and prods. Similarly, I have a PM5, like a one that I fill out on my phone just before bed, which asks the question, how was today's exercise and how was today's diet in terms of protein and, macro, uh, protein and calories and any, uh, uh, and any learnings for tomorrow? And again, I fill that out in the, in the nighttime and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Now, th this is a... Like, n no one needs a reminder in their journal app to remind them to brush their teeth, right? Because we all brush our teeth anyway. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you probably brush your teeth twice a day. So you don't need any productivity techniques for that because you're just doing it naturally. 
Similarly, once you've built a habit of working out, you probably don't need, like Doug probably doesn't need productivity tactics for this, but I do because I'm building a new habit. And so I'm just trying to hack my brain using whatever strategies I've got, um, like my journaling thing, like the calendar, to just help nudge me towards doing the thing that matters, which is working out every day. Is there anything you go to in, in regards to working out when, when the journal maybe, and I, I don't want to say it fails, but you like look at it and you're like, all right, it's in the calendar, but sh- man, I'm tired or I have a lot to do today. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. Like, is there anything else you go to when that thing isn't necessarily working for that day to get you to still do that task, even though you don't feel like it? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. So I literally asked this to our mutual friend, Sahil Bloom last week. Uh, when we were in Cabo, because he was like, I was like, man, how do you work out so consistently? And he told me this method that I started using, which is about, um, I think he calls it like the ABC goal setting method. And the idea is that for every goal in your life, you have an A, you have a B, and you have a C plan. So the A plan might be, I do a full workout in the gym. It's an hour long, progressive overload, strength training, blah, 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 blah. The B plan might be 20 minutes of body weight. And the C plan might be, you know what? I'm just going to move my body for 20 minutes, move my body for half an hour. And so for me, it's like, when I don't feel like working out, I just tell myself, I just need to do something for half an hour. It can be going for a walk while listening to an audiobook. It could be doing some yoga. It could be doing some stretching. It could literally be just be running up and down on the spot. Normally, I like to go for a walk with an audiobook because I can do that wherever I am, really. And as long as I've done that, it's a win for the day. And anything else is a bonus. And so there's an app I use on my phone called Streaks, which is like this habit tracker thing. And I've actually had for the last seven, six days, I've, been, I, I've, I've got like a six day streak of working out half an hour each day because partly because I've lowered the bar. Like I think two days ago, I didn't manage to do a proper workout. So I just went for a half an hour walk and I'm like, cool, that's it. I've maintained the streak. I've maintained the habit. So I find lowering the bar for habits to be like a super helpful tactic that I I literally got last week. I love that, man. It's, It's so great to hear. And I think taking this to the next level, maybe somebody's listening to this or they're watching this and they have kids, they have, you know, a couple jobs they might be working um, whatever the example is. And they're like, all right, I got it. I can journal for a few minutes in the morning, journal for a few minutes in the evening, figure out what's most important to me, hanging out with the right people. I'm, I'm focused. I'm happy, but I am distracted. And if, unless I have it on my calendar throughout the day, like it's not going to happen. And I know you mentioned that you put in like the walk because that was like important to you, you know, as far as like what you, what your journaling, journaling exercise in the morning. But you know, you see a lot, a lot of people when they talk about productivity is that you should just completely like block out your day. And I know you kind of talk about this in, in a way where there's levels to it, but like, what is your view on like people blocking out their day? And do you think that there's a way for people to be like efficient with scheduling things consistently in their calendar? Yeah. I think, I think a big part of it is like, what are your goals and, and what do you want? Like some people, like I, for example, like there, there are periods in my life where I, I like blocking out my whole day, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this, then this, then this, then this. And within the blocks, I'll include time for lunch. I'll include time to call my grandma. I'll include time to go for a walk or do a workout. And my day is quite then regimented. It's, it's not regimented in someone else is telling me what to do. It's regimented in the way that I have intentionally designed it for myself. But similarly, I've got other periods of my life, like right now, where, you know, I'm in Mexico. I feel like I want a bit of a creative recharge. Most, mostly my calendar is empty. And that's kind of nice because I can just do whatever I feel like. But I'm also less productive when I do whatever I feel like. And, and there's almost this, you know, some people call it like creativity versus productivity. Like in the, in the modes of my life, in the days where I want to focus on output, that's where regimented scheduling really helps. But on the days where I want to focus on refilling the well and creative energy and like follow, following where the energy takes me, 
having an empty calendar is super, super helpful. So I just think it really depends on what you're optimizing for. And it's totally okay for that to change seasonally or every week or every day. The point is the calendar is a tool. Time blocking is a tool. It's not the goal itself. And so if time blocking is a useful tool for a particular goal, then great, let's use it. If it's not, great, let's not use it. So that's, that's kind of how I think of time blocking. Yeah, I guess I, self- I selfishly want to know because, you know, for a while I was making the majority of my income from training and that from personal training. And that was like, you know, where I spent a lot of my time. And now that the podcast has grown so much and I've grown as a, a cr- creator, I guess you could say, that's where a lot of my time gets spent as far as, you know, making sure I'm doing a good job with the podcast, researching guests, um, you know, looking to see what guests I'd want to have on, looking at trends, stuff like that. But I also find like some days where I don't have interviews or I don't have a guest coming up in the next day or two. I'm like, well, I could just sit here. And, I'm, and not that I do, but I often am like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling lazy right now because there's probably some things I could do, but I just don't know like how to effectively schedule it, if that makes sense. So I started to literally in my calendar block out like, I mean, obviously I block out when I go to the gym. And if I have, you know, I still have a few personal training clients I work with there in my calendar. But then it's like a schedule out, okay, like hour for uh, guest research for, you know, the podcast, emails, hour, two hours for, re- you know, researching Ali and, and, and thoroughly reading your book or whatever. Like, do you think that for somebody like me who I'm still on the climb, like I'm not where you're at in our profession because we're, I would say we are, you know, we're colleagues. I mean, you're somebody who I'd be like, hey, I want to sit down with you and pay you to, to chat with me for an hour and teach me everything that you know but I'm not there. I'm still on the way up. Do you think that I'd be better off like meticulously blocking out my calendar until I get to that goal that I'm trying to reach? Because I, I, I don't think there's a right answer here. I think there's kind of two ways of thinking about it. Um, one way is, yeah, sure. You're trying to hit a goal. The goal is defined. You know what you need to do. And you know that that comes in blocks of time in the calendar. Cool. That's fine. Let's block out the calendar. Let's make sure we've got time for research, et cetera, et cetera. But there's another part of me that wants to say the goal is meaningless. Like you're already doing the thing. You're already, you know, making a living as a creator, doing the podcast, doing what you love, having conversations. It's very flattering that you actually read the book. Most people, when they come on the podcast, it's like they, they wouldn't read the book. So, so thank you for that. I really appreciate it. But, but you are doing the thing. And hitting the goal of getting, I don't know, a million subscribers or whatever, it's not, it's not going to change anything. Often the way I think about things is how would I choose to spend my time if I wasn't concerned about making money? Like I would still make YouTube videos, but I wouldn't regimentedly block everything out to be like, I have to spend eight hours a day researching videos. I would, I would do it when the energy calls me to do the thing. Um, that strategy doesn't, may not work for a lot of people. But I suspect you're beyond the point where you need to worry about where the bill, you know, whether the bills are going to be paid. So actually being a bit more chill about it and recognizing that you're playing an infinite game here, the journey is the destination. It's totally okay to not be fully regimented, even though it would help you get to a goal faster by being regimented. What I'm suggesting is that actually maybe speed of, speed of accomplishing the goal is maybe, not, is, is maybe not the thing we want to optimize for. I'm not sure. How, do, how does that land with you? It lands really good because it's not that I'm, I'm not financially driven other than like, I want to be able to do what I want. Like I want to be able to pay my bills. I want to be able to travel where I can. I want to be able to, you know, save money for retirement, like all the normal stuff. 
but I, but, 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 but like you and like others, what I do is deeply connected to my purpose in life and that I get fulfillment from people reaching out. Like people are like, what drives you to keep going? It's the DMS I get from my pod about my podcast. Or if I go on a podcast and share my story of how, you know, I beat drug addiction when I was incarcerated, like people like pe- that inspiring, that inspires people. Like that's what keeps me going. So I feel like, okay, if I'm not as quote unquote focused on my craft and I'm just like doing the thing when I need to, am I missing out on potential fulfillment that I could have in my life and possible potential when I reach the end because I was just not content, but I was like, all right, I'm not goal oriented. I'm doing the thing and it's working now, but I'm not pushing myself in a way that I possibly could. Does that make sense? Absolutely, mate. I, I literally struggle with this every day. Like I was, I was talking to Sal about this last week as well. Um, there's this, there, there's this feeling of like you're a pretty driven guy. Like you wouldn't have gotten here if you weren't at least somewhat driven. And it's it's the same for me. And you know, on days like, so, so, for, for example, tomorrow and Friday, so you know these these next two days, I have nothing on the calendar. It's totally empty. And part of me is like, mm, could I get a few more book pre-orders if I? worked a bit harder and put out a few more videos and then maybe I might hit the New York Times list and maybe not. But like, will I regret not doing it? Because I had this period and I could have worked harder and could have not. And the mind always goes there. Uh, But (laughs) yeah, I think, you know, if you're the sort of person who, if you had an empty calendar, you would sit on your ass and play video games all day and become a slob, then okay, some structure is good. But you and I are not those sorts of people. If you, like, I think think for you and for me, it's, it's nice being able to say this because this is literally advice I'm trying to give to myself. The single biggest risk factor in our career is burnout. It's us no longer enjoying the process. So if you no longer enjoy the podcast because it's become work, because you've regimented yourself, that's actually really bad for your podcast, really bad for your business, really bad for your listeners whose lives you're changing through the podcast. And so I would say actually having more empty time in the calendar, that's where, that's where the ideas come from. Like the next idea that's going to take your business to, business to the next level is probably not doing more of what you're already doing. It's probably an idea that you haven't yet thought about. It's probably like, oh shit, like I could do to- this totally new format of thing. And maybe that just blows up on YouTube and now loads of people find the podcast. But you get those sorts of ideas from having empty space. You don't get them from having two hour blocks of research time. Um, but obviously there's a balance. Like having no structure is kind of bad sometimes. Having full structure is bad some of the time. And there's some sort of middle way that we're all trying to navigate. And the fact that you're conscious of this and asking the right questions and stuff means that you're, you are very conscious of this. So I don't, I don't think you have anything to be worried about here. I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate you also sharing that you also struggle with this very thing. And I think part of it for me too is that I'm at this point now where you know, I feel like I'm over indexing in a way on the podcast. Not that the podcast isn't important to me. I don't want this to be my full-time job because it definitely is. But I also want to build out other funnels for income so that, you know, because the podcast, as you know, the revenue fluctuates, right? It's never going to be, there's never any, you're not getting a steady check every single week or every month or whatever. And so I want to do more public speaking. I I probably should, I want to do some um, like coaching or create some course that could help people or whatever. And I'm like, okay, like, if I'm not, you know, if I'm just sitting here, I'm not scheduling time out to work on those things. Like I'm not going to potentially live up to my fullest potential. And, and I might put myself in a very vulnerable position if things change with the podcast. Not that I think they are, but it's like, 
I'm always like, all right, like I gotta, you gotta, you gotta play defense a little bit. You can't over index on one income stream because anything can happen. Right. And, um, and so that's where I think a big part of it comes from, uh, from me as well is like, all right, like there's, there's these things I want to work on getting more speaking engagements, building out some sort of course, doing these things that'll generate more income on the side. Like I should be working on those things. If I might make a suggestion, um, one thing I found super helpful for this is to spend the first two hours of my day doing the new stuff. So like for me, the YouTube channel is the thing I maintain. It comes out of a particular cadence. For you, the podcast is the thing. And if we let it, our YouTube channel and podcast will take up our entire life because there's always infinite amount of work to do. But what I find super helpful, like when I was writing the book, the book was like a new thing. I had to make time for it. And so making the time for it in the morning for like two to four hours, sometimes one, sometimes three, depending, sometimes 20 minutes, but just something. Similarly, now I'm working on a new course. If I, if I'll, if I tell myself, oh, I'll just get to it when I, when I have, have the time, I'm not going to have the time because stuff will happen. <laughs> but if I tell myself, I'm going to do it straight after breakfast and then I'll worry about making the videos. Now I'm making progress on the course. So I think like this, there's something there around the new creative avenues working on them in the morning because otherwise the podcast will just take over your life. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm definitely going to, to implement in, that into my calendar after this week because I know this, this week is a, a, you know, a holiday week or whatever and just trying to just make sure that I give myself some space in the calendar to work on those new things that are important, but I got to get them done first thing. Um, last thing I want to ask you is I know you, you talk about the importance of small wins, like just doing the thing, taking the, 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 the next right like action step. And I think, you know, a lot of people struggle with this because as we've talked about throughout the conversation, they see, they see a target, they see a big goal. They, they want, they get so excited about that and they forget about the journey and it's hard to stay focused when things aren't um, maybe coming to you as fast as they can. So why do you think it's so important to um, achieve these small wins and how can somebody, I guess, decipher, like, what is that action step they need to take? Yeah, so through through my podcast, I, I had the privilege of interviewing a guy called Professor Tim Pitchell, and he's like a he's a professor in in Carleton University. I think he's retired now, um, but he's spent like forty years researching procrastination. And I and I asked him, be like, you know, do you still struggle with procrastination? He was like, no, I don't struggle with it anymore. And I asked, okay, what's like, you know, what did, what what's the biggest piece of advice you've got for someone struggling with procrastination? And he said, honestly. It's just about figuring out what is the next tangible action step and then just doing it. So for him, if he's procrastinating from yoga, the, the next action step is to just roll the mat out. So he'll just be like, okay, I just need to roll the mat out. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll roll out the mat and then stand on it. And once, you're, once you've rolled out the yoga mat and you're standing on it, at that point, it's like, okay, you might, as well, you might as well do the thing. And that's this idea of inertia, that it's way harder to get started with something than it is to keep going. And I think partly if we have a really big goal, you know, I have a really big goal of hitting the New York Times bestseller list. I have a really big goal of winning the gold medal, whatever that is. Yeah, okay. But often that's not, at least for me and a lot of people I speak to, that is demotivating rather than motivating. It's like so big that you're like, oh my God, oh my goodness, this is a whole mountain. I couldn't possibly get started. Whereas kind of drawing it back to, okay, what's, what's one small action I can take today? Okay, if I'm writing a book, you know what? I can write 10 words. Great. I can open up a Google Doc and write 10 words. Anyone can do that. Once you're writing 10, 10 becomes 100, 100 becomes 500, 500 becomes 1,000. And before you know it, you spent three hours in the flow state and you've just written a chapter of your book. And that is how so many writers do it as well. And I think we can apply that to whatever we're struggling with. 
lower the bar, find the next task and just do the next thing. Don't worry about the big goal, focus on the next step. I love that, man. And this conversation has been helpful for me. I enjoyed it so much. I think the audience is going to love it as well. Um, Ali, um, wanted to thank you once again for your time, um, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing parts of your journey. And I think, again, the audience is going to love this. Where can people um, buy the book if they want to buy the book? Where can they follow along with your content, your journey, and that sort of thing? Yeah. Firstly, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. Um, and it's so nice that you would you would take the time to, to have me on the podcast. It's a real, it's a real honor. Um, if people are interested in learning more about the book, feelgoodproductivity.com. Uh, we tried to make that website the nicest book website in the world. And our publisher said, whoa, I've never seen a website as nice as this one. So if you're interested in aesthetics of web design, even if you don't want to <laughs> buy the book, feelgoodproductivity.com, you might like to check that out. And links to all my socials and stuff. If you just search my name, Ali Abdal, on any platform, you'll, you'll find some stuff. Amazing. Well, I'll be sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. So Ali, once again, thank you for coming on. I joined this episode and the audience is going to love it as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Doug.